Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. leader. Coming off the court, you hear it straight from a Suns player with Burns and Gambo. Brought to you by America Roofing, Arizona's number one roofer online at americaroofingco.com. For a free estimate or 10% off any roof repair, that's americaroofingco.com. Three o'clock hour, the Burns and Gambo show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Phoenix Suns. Their road trip wraps up tomorrow night in Cleveland, taking on the Cavs every single week, every single Tuesday at three o'clock. It is our pleasure to catch up with a member of the Suns organization to talk hoop. And joining us right now, welcoming him back to the Burns and Gambo show from the Phoenix Suns, Damian Lee, who joins us here on Burns and Gambo. Damian, welcome back to the show. Thank you for the time today. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. How are you doing, man? Good, uh, Damien. Thank you for having me back. I uh, loved having you on the last time. It was a terrific interview. Really appreciated it. I want to get your thoughts. As a professional athlete, I don't know if you saw it live, but I'm sure you, you know, you've heard about it and probably talked about it with teammates. The, the unfortunate situation in Cincinnati last night with DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, it brings me back to Hank Gathers of Loyola Marymount back in 1990 when he collapsed on the court and just, your thoughts on, on what was a, a tragic situation last night? Yeah, I mean, you said it, man. It's, it's, it's tragic. It's sad. You know, obviously everyone's praying and hoping that, you know, everything is okay with him, praying for him, praying for his family, for, you know, the organization, for his teammates. But, you know, just as more stories and more videos come out of who DeMar Hamlin is and what he's about, um, you know, it definitely hits home even harder so you know just continue to pray for him and continue to uplift him um that you know he'll be able to make it out of this uh then also you know keep his family and it's incredible. He had a uh, he had a fundraiser for a, a, a toy drive that he was hoping to raise twenty five hundred dollars for. But once people found out about it last night, they've raised. I believe the last time we looked, it was over four million dollars. Four point seven million. You know, all basically in the last you know sixteen seventeen hours. You know, since people found out that that he was trying to you know raise some money for toys for a community. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that obviously shows the type of person that he is, what he's about, and then um, also just goes to show, you know, what community does. Um, you know, I, it's, you know, quite unfortunate that had it come to this measure for, you know, people to see it and for the outreach and all that stuff, but definitely goes to show, you know, that there are good people out here in this world. Damian Lee, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. You guys are obviously going through a tough stretch. Lost yesterday to the New York Knicks. Got the Cleveland Cavaliers coming up tomorrow. Internally, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys looking at needing to do better? I know that might be a kind of a general question, but what are you guys looking at to do better to get you out of the funk that you're in right now? Yeah, I think just getting back to us, you know, um, locking in, you know, uh, during the game, locking in on the game plan, uh, executing the offense, defense, um, you know, whether it's getting the ball moving, you know, just locking in on all those things. Um, I think that'll help us out. But, you know, just understanding that, uh, you know, this is the NBA and no one's going to feel sorry for us. We got to make sure that we save ourselves and make it out. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of time left in the season. It's not not time to hit the panic button just yet so um just you know learning and growing from there and then uh figuring out what's what's next for us but cleveland at hand uh then we get home for a couple of days back on the road and then 
we'll be able to get back home as well towards the end of the month. So I think that'll be something that'll be good for us. I saw you try to give that team a lift yesterday, man. You came out that second quarter, you knocked down that first shot, then you knocked down the three. You know, is that you guys had a bad first quarter. You didn't shoot the ball very well, but you came out on fire in the second quarter, tried to get the team going a little bit, but it's it's gotta be hard to come back from these big first half deficits time and time again. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 just a matter of the game. I mean, you know, the game really dictates how it's all going to go. Um, and for us, you know, it's making sure that we do what we do. So, you know, we can't let the shots uh, dictate our making or missing a shot dictate our defense. And we can't let you know the reverse. We can't let our defense dictate how you know the pace of our offense is. And that's been probably one of the biggest issues for you guys is, you know, last year we raved about how good the Suns were defensively. This year there's been a lot of struggles. I mean, there were points of the game yesterday where Robinson was dunking on Chris Paul. I mean, just admit, you know, there's guys out of position, out of place with the defensive rotations. They were able to get some matchups they really liked. Yeah, and, and, you know, you got to, you, you, like we could say, you know, defense, you know, it's all this stuff, but you also have to give the other team credit as well. I think that's what the Knicks did well. You know, they had their scheme, they had their plan. Um, you know, they stuck to it, and obviously, knowing how much of a, a threat Mitchell Robinson is, not only on the defensive end of blocking shots, but how he is in owning the paint. Julius Randle's been playing at an all-star level for the past what, two, three weeks. I mean, Realistically, you could say all season. So, you know, as, as as good as we are, if you look through the landscape of the league, um, not even just who we're playing, but every single night, there's teams that have an all-star caliber player or more. And, um, I mean, guys are really good in this league. So, you know, it's a matter of how can you get enough stops and how can you outscore your opponent. Damian Lee, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo show. Suns taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers tomorrow. Monty talked after yesterday's game about needing to get you guys, that it's on him to get you guys to, to play with the requisite physicality and the energy and things like that. Have you noticed those things have been missing as part of this slump you guys have gone through? Um, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a slump. I'd just say more of an adjustment period. Um, I don't really like that word because I feel like that's something where it's like you're stuck, you're down, you really can't get out. I think it's just an adjustment for us of knowing, you know, we're missing one of, you know, top ten players in this league, guys different roles, guys coming back off injury, minute restrictions, so there's no excuse in there. It's just a matter of us trying to understand what's at hand, but also knowing that the physicality is a big part of that. And knowing that sometimes, you know, you just gotta come out and hit first and kinda of try to set the tone there. So Seeing what happens with that, but the game really dictates how you play. Like when you play teams like you know Boston, Memphis, uh, New Orleans, those are probably three of the most physical teams um, in the NBA that I can think of off the top of my head. So just knowing that those teams are always going to come with physicality. I mean Cleveland as well. Tomorrow's going to be another game of that up where there will be a level of physicality that's talked about before the game, but will have to be met um, when, you know, tip-off comes. So just understanding that, understanding who you're playing, and understanding that, you know, the game will be called a little bit different because there's a physicality that has to be met um, for 48 minutes. Yeah. Damien, we appreciate the time. As always, I know it's been a long road trip. You guys are looking forward to coming back home. You're almost there. So we appreciate the time. Yes, sir. And we, I, I can hear it in your voice. You are looking forward to getting home. Thank you for the time, yeah. man. We appreciate it. Best of luck tomorrow against Cleveland.
Yes, no, appreciate it. Thank y'all, and uh, happy New Year to everyone out there listening. Um, appreciate y'all. Appreciate the support. And uh, one more at home, and then uh, I mean, one more on the road, and then two more at home. So uh, looking forward to see y'all back at Footprint. I bet. I Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Damien. Happy New Year to you, yeah. Damien Lee. Happy- Yep, Damian Lee joining us here on the Burns and Gambo show. They're on the road there in Cleveland. They're taking on the Cavs tomorrow. How about this for the next eight games? You ready for this? Yeah. At Cleveland. Donovan Mitchell just scored 70. Home against Miami. Home against Cleveland. At Golden State. Donovan Mitchell just scored 70. (laughs) At Golden State. At Denver. At Minnesota. At Memphis. Home against Brooklyn. Those are your next eight Brooklyn's games. Brooklyn's on fire. Oh, right Brooklyn's now. won twelve straight games. They're on fire. Yeah, let's, and the Nuggets look. The Nuggets look good. Let's have another conversation about Kevin Durant or not. Yeah, they guessed he's not right. Going anywhere? It yeah, didn't they look did. good early, but they, you know, they love, well, let's fight and fight and fight to keep it together. And you know, they look like legitimate contenders in the East now. Yeah, the schedule is just—it's monstrous. It's title defender or not defender, title contender after title contender exactly. after title You're contender. Ready? Yeah, I'm ask you something right now. Um, the Suns right now are eighth in the West. Yes. What will they be when that start, when that stretch is over? When Consid- those eight games are over, considering that they are tied with Golden State and Portland for seven, eight, and nine, and only two games up on the Jazz, three games up on the Timberwolves, the Lakers, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. When that stretch is over. Eight game stretch. Eight game stretch. They will be. I'll be honest with you. I think they're going to be the ninth of the tenth seed in the West. Okay. They're going to fall. They're going to be the ninth of the tenth seed in the West. But they won't. They would need the the eleventh seed is Minnesota. The twelfth seed is the Lakers. They're not going to. They're not going to. Neither of those teams are good enough. I don't think to pass them. The Timberwolves are terrible. They are. And the Timberwolves are the one lone team they're playing over those next eight. Where, where, but even even against the beatable teams, they're straight. The Toronto Raptors on Friday night, the Raptors weren't any good this season. The Raptors are having a year where they're talking about trading everybody. They handled the Phoenix Suns that night, right? So it's even to look at the schedule. There aren't any gimmies anymore. There aren't any teams where you with the way the Suns are playing right now. There aren't any teams where you can guarantee that things are going to happen or that wins are going to be had. It's that kind of stretch that they're going through right now. When we come back, by now, I would imagine everybody knows the name DeMar Hamlin. Who is DeMar Hamlin? Because with his story being told, boy, what a wonderful story it is. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Just got a text from my uh, from my daughter who was listening to the show. Just looking for an update on Damar. And, and, and it, it, it's one of those stories that really has transcended sport, right? Like, I, at some point, and they mentioned this last night on ESPN, that the DeMar Hamlin story at some point stopped becoming a sports story and it became a news story. And it happened really kind of quickly, I think, right? Like, where, where once we saw the once we saw it was not your garden variety uh, injury on the field that required someone to be carried off. Cause, you know, I hate to be callous and cold about it, but we have garden variety injuries like that where, you know, concussion or a guy blows out his knee or whatever, where he gives you the thumbs up or he puts the towel over his head because he's crying. The game goes on. There was no the game goes 
on last night. And because of that, because of the severity of what happened last night to Hamlet, this story has completely transcended sports now. It's it's everybody is now invested on you the don't health get and up, well-being you don't of this young up, man. Yeah, you're not getting an update today. You may not get one tomorrow. I mean, I, it could be a long time before we get an update. You know, a lot of times with you know any type of injury, you usually get an update, you know. You can talk to the coach about, hey, you know, what's the update on the status of so-and-so's? Well, he went for an MRI. He went for a, he went for this. He went for that. Like, this is completely different. This is, he's in critical condition. He's battling for his life. Yeah. You know, nobody's in a rush to. stopped on the field last night. Yeah, he had to be resuscitated right. on the field. Arrest. And it's a, that's really, really bad. I mean, it's not, you know, even if he survives, there is a chance that he's, you know, that, that like, he'll probably, like, that he wouldn't play football again, that his life is going to be dragged. But at this point, you just, you know, you're praying and hoping for survival that he gets to live. Yeah. His family released a statement about you know, three, four hours ago, uh, expressing our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to DeMar during this challenging time, uh, acknowledging the dedicated first responders on the field, the healthcare professionals at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, your generosity and compassion mean the world to us. Please keep DeMar in your prayers. Uh, one of the, the outpouring of support and then, and look, a lot of this manifests itself, honestly, in the charitable contributions that have been made to his toy drive, which continues to be one of the most remarkable, it was, in some ways, almost unexplainable stories, right? I mean, he's he's he before the holidays, he organized this toy drive um, for an organization that is that his mom is affiliated with. They had a modest goal of twenty five hundred dollars, which they had more than raised by the holidays. Right. But people wanting to do something, anything to help out. It's the all we knew contributing to this to this kid's account so all that we knew last night was there's a way to give you know you were looking for just i don't know do you believe in positive energy like just something like you know we, we all want to see this kid pull through and make it and you know then you find out about the tall drug what you know what all right let's let's grasp onto this let's let's get behind this let's make a donation i even tweeted out you know here's the information if you have the means to do it let's get some positive energy going towards the recovery and um that a lot of people were so many people were donating and donating and donating and four million dollars i haven't even looked at it lately almost at five almost a five million dollars four point eight six is what we're at right, right. now because yeah. people listen there's a lot of good in people's hearts okay there really is and um you know sometimes it does it takes a tragedy like this something like you know to bring that out and people other people just look i want to be involved i want to help i mean you know if you're that family you feel really good about what people are doing and i think more than anything that's what you wanted to do you know for his mom, for his dad, for siblings, for just everybody involved, family. Well, look, look, you know, look at the impact that he's made. Five million dollars in donations for yeah. for children's toys because people just wanted to do something good after the after something that happened that was so bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it was, you know, I know we joke all the time about Twitter and and not being the biggest fan. Boy, last night, Twitter was at its very, very best, I thought, mostly. I mean, obviously, you, it, it's not going to be perfect by any stretch, but the, the contribution to the toy drive was largely 100% a Twitter thing, where it got out there on social media sure. and everybody started following it, everybody started retweeting it, everybody started contributing. You mentioned you retweeted it. A lot of people did, and, and, and that was one of those nights where... Where I think it was Andrew Brandt who pointed out on his Twitter account the power of Twitter in a positive way was really, really obvious last night. As far as him himself, 
Um, there was a great story today on the Athletic website. Who is Demar Hamlin? What to know about the Bills' safety who collapsed Monday I enjoyed, the Bengals? I enjoyed this, and it was. He grew up in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, a borough of Allegheny County, just outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, I saw Mike Tomlin today. Spent about a minute and a half just talking about how he's known Demar Hamlin since he was 12 years old because he's a Pittsburgh guy, and, and talking to him every time the Steelers would play the Bills uh, in high school, he led his team to a 15 and one record state championship. He went to Pitt. He went on to start 36 of his final 38 games. He was voted a captain in 2020. He finished his senior season on the All-ACC second team. They won the Coastal Division in 2018. They won the Quick Lane Bowl in 2019. He was a sixth round pick. He took over as a starting safety this year when Micah Hyde suffered a neck injury in week two since he has started every game for the Bills defense. Tied for second most tackles on the Bills defense this year, 91 total, six tackles for loss. When he got drafted, the coach of Pitt said a bunch of teams really, really missed out uh, on and, this and, guy. And when I read that, when I read that part, and I want because because this this hit hit home to me with another thing. It says uh, Pat uh, Pat Nadazi. Uh, a bunch of teams really, really missed out, but the Bills got themselves a gem of a player in person. DeMar was the quarterback of our defense. He's smart, tough, and such a short tackler back there. He's going to be a difference maker for Buffalo. My God, I remember Bruce Snyder saying the same thing about Pat Tillman. Same exact thing. When Pat Tillman got drafted in the seventh round, about the guys that all the teams that passed on him, that Pat is smart and Pat was tough and he's just tackling and he's going to be a difference maker and you'll see he's going to make it. Bruce Snyder was so... You know, uh, you know, he believed truly he was convinced that Pat Tillman was going to be a good, good NFL player. And same thing here with the pit coach, really believing that Hamlin was going to. A lot of guys, sixth round, a lot of guys missed on him. So that really, when I read that, it really brought me back to a conversation I had with Bruce Snyder after Pat Tillman got drafted in the seventh round by the Cardinals and. You know, Bruce, not really flabby. It's like the, like he's going to make it. Like yeah. no concern. I mean, he's not going to be something. He's going to make it because he's he's smart and he's tough and he's everything you want in a player. We continue to wait for some sort of medical update. We haven't gotten any when it comes to Demar Hamlin. I don't really. Don't I don't expect will. that we will either today. I, I don't know for sure, but I don't. I don't think that we will. Uh, but obviously, that's sort of the next you know chapter in the story is to is to just hope and pray. Pray that everything turns out for him and that there is some positive news waiting for us. There has been none of that news in the meantime. All of sports. All We just got done talking with Damian Lee. He's talking about it. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, I just saw on Twitter a second ago, they're all wearing love for number three shirts in honor of DeMar Hamlin before walking into their game tonight against the Capitals, right? The fundraiser, like we talked about, every uh, team in the NFL changed their Twitter avatar to his name and his number and the Bills jersey to show support for him. Uh, it's it's a it, it's great. It's it's terrible that it took something like this for it to happen. But man, everybody is rallying around this kid and it's just praying for his health and his safety moving forward. Yeah, but that's what people do. They rally around situations like this and they come together as a group and you know everybody's pulling for him to make it and you know as a football fan just a human being you know just a human being you don't 
want to see anybody something something like that happen to anybody. And but you got to see that firsthand, and I think that's you know that's what made it all the more you know important for everybody to get together and help. You can text us your thoughts. The FanDuel text line is open for you at six twenty six twenty. Now Sunday's game for the Arizona Cardinals was obviously less about the game itself. Certainly some key individuals that defined the end result. Some of whom might have futures with the team. Some of them we know won't. That's coming up next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Big Red Reacts. Reaction to yesterday's Cardinals game. Brought to you by Wicopa Casino Resort. Where world-class action meets Ford Diamond Splendor. It's been a staple, really, of our Cardinals coverage throughout the years. Big Red Reacts, where our first show after the game, we run through the game. The high moments, the low points, the everything in between. The reason why the Cardinals won or lost. But we don't want to bore you to death right now. <laughs> we all got together as a show <laughs> and just decided that that's not what it really needs to be now, right? I, I mean, the Cardinals uh, won yeah, game, the game left. doesn't matter. The game itself doesn't, you know, how it turned out doesn't matter other than relative to draft positioning and the Cardinals were able to maintain the number four pick in the draft with one week to go. We'll see where they end up. They can go as high as two. They can fall as far as six, if I remember right. So instead of going through the plays and saying, okay, this happened then and this happened here, we're going to talk about some of the players and sort of the future and, and what it might look like for some of these guys because some of these guys did have standout moments in the game on Sunday that the Cardinals lost 2019 to the Atlanta Falcons when Young Waiku hit the game-winning field goal with no time left. Let's start with J.J. Watt. This sack of Desmond Ritter gives him double digits for the sixth time in his career now. Straight drop back for Ritter. Steps up in the pocket and wrapped up and sacked back at the 37-yard line. And it's J.J. Watt. Double-digit sacks for Watt on the season, having a Pro Bowl year. But that doesn't mean, Gambo, that he was happy with himself after the game. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. Losing sucks. I mean, I played like that put us in a very tough spot. Um, so I put a lot of blame on myself for this one. It's, you know, it's it's almost like a baseball player that goes 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, but then hits a home run. That sack was, got him over 10, got him into double digits for the sixth time in his career. And, uh, you know, here's a guy, I mean, it was a nice piece that Peter King did on him and talked about how he'll go into the Hall of Fame listed as a defensive end, but he played all over the line, has 112 and a half sacks. Um, talked about he scored six regular season touchdowns, three on receptions as a tight end. I would love to see that in the final I game. Would too. I would I, too. I, I mean, I'd love to see that in the final game. Get to the goal line. Put him out there, Cliff. Put him out there as a tight end. Yeah. Throw him a touchdown pass. Come on. I know he was hard on himself after the game, and I think you're right. It is a lot like going 0 for 3, but the one hit, or, or 1 for 4, but the one hit you get is a home run. Because J.J. Watt had a big penalty on that final drive that led to the go-ahead field goal. That sack was his only tackle of the game, so he wasn't very active wasn't or very impactful. noticeable. Nope. He wasn't impactful in that game, but he did get the sack. That's why I think he's being hard on himself. Of course, there's a lot of conversation about David Blau, who got to start at quarterback. In fact, according to Darren Urban, citing Elias Sports Bureau, there's been only one other time in NFL history that a team used four different starting quarterbacks in four straight games. That's where the Cardinals were with this one, and David Blau looked 
All right. Back to throw. In trouble from the pocket. Fires deep middle. Caught out near midfield by Hollywood Brown for a first down. It's a gain of 20 to the Arizona 48. Again, David Blau with pressure on and makes a terrific throw. 24 of 40, 222 yards, a touchdown that he had to trade McBride. We'll talk about that in a second. No turnovers in the game. What did you think about David Blau? He was fine. I mean, he was fine. Um, you know, I'm happy to see him get an opportunity. I thought he did a good job getting the ball to Hollywood Brown and Trey McBride. He had the one big mistake. Uh, but I thought, you know, I thought he was fine. I mean, you know, he's trying to put himself in a position to earn a roster spot next year. You're not, you know, the only thing that matters to teams is who's your starting quarterback and your backup quarterback. I don't know if he's good enough to be a backup, but I think he played well enough to show that he belongs in the NFL. Look, they're going to they're gonna start the season and they're not going to have Kyler Murray. We assume they're not going to have Kyler Murray. That, that, that might be wrong, but as of right now, that's the... So Colt McCoy, presumably the starter, he's on the second year of a two-year deal. Who is going to be the backup to Colt McCoy for the first two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, five Five weeks of the season. We don't know how long it's going to take. That, I think, is kind of what he's auditioning for. It's what Trace McSorley was auditioning for. I think they could still go get a quarterback and make McCoy number two and then have you know somebody as the third. They could if they wanted to. And, of course, Cliff has made no indication as to who his starting quarterback is going to be this week in the final week against San Francisco. Here's Blau after the game. Do you have moments like that where you, know, you question it and... You know, being able to prove it, and I just had peace at all, uh, peace all day. It really, it's it's the people who trusted me. Like, I'll go back to it. The offensive line kept coming up saying, hey, "Good job," or uh, "Be louder." You know, and those communications that uh, that we have as a as a team are. You know what? What make this game special? It's the most entertaining game in the world, and they trusted me, and I'm very thankful for that. Probably the biggest highlight of the game came from the Cardinals' second-round pick, Trey McBride. Play fake, bootleg to the right, throw to the right, caught by McBride. Then he stumbles and falls down, but he's into the end zone anyway for the touchdown. Great play design, great execution. Cardinals take advantage of the takeaway. McBride able to get into the end zone for the touchdown. Still fast. Like, he looked good. Like, he, he, looks looked really, good. he looked good. Why he does it good. take so damn long for, like, rookies to look good on the Cardinal? I don't, I don't get know. it. I don't know. Like, could he not have done this in, in, you know, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago? Why does it take so damn long? Yeah. That is the question that seems to haunt this organization when it comes to their draft picks. But I do agree. I thought he was the highlight of the day, to be honest with you. That was his first career NFL title. Touchdown! He very promptly spiked the ball. I hope he, got, hope he got it back. I would think that'd be one that Trey McBride yeah. would want. Of course, he stumbled his way into the end zone. He joked after the game with Paul Calvisi. Yeah, they were, uh, you know, telling me that was the most unathletic thing they've ever seen in their lives. And you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, the touchdown's a touchdown. So I was very happy about that. Yeah, almost, yeah, unathletic. almost didn't make it. Right, yeah. stumbled. That wasn't he sure did. he was going to get well, in. Was right after Ritter had fumbled a snap, uh, Lucky Lucky Fotu recovered it, and then two plays later, they get that touchdown. McBride made a 10-7 in the game, but it was good to it was good to see him play well. Yeah, like you know they they was there he was their first pick in the draft, not a first rounder, but a second rounder. But you expected big things out of him, and he's had a disappointing rookie year. He is a huge piece moving forward, a huge piece moving forward. He's a second round pick. 
He can block. He can catch. Zach Ertz coming off the knee injury. He's not getting any younger, right? I mean, Trey McBride, in theory, should be, needs to be a big part of their future moving forward. So it was good to see yeah. him have a game that the was kind of worthy this of was, that. This was in Darren Urban's column. I loved it. The last time they had a 100-yard receiving game from a tight end. Well, it's been forever. 1989. It's been forever. Rob Awalt against Awalt against A-Walt. the car against the Cowboys. Rob Awalt in 1989. Yeah. You tell me Awalt went AWOL in that game? Yeah, he oh. did. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Um, the, uh, the Cardinals, boy, Cardinal fans, it has just been a long, tough journey when it comes to the tight end position. So hard. James Conner also had himself a day in that game, but had to leave with a shin injury. 16 carries, 79 yards, three receptions for 31 yards, 110 total yards in that game. And yet Cliff Kingsbury yesterday, saying James Conner is day-to-day. He's day-to-day. That's all I heard as of now. Um, it was nothing major, which is good. The x-rays were negative, but um, we'll see how he feels the next couple of days. Went over 1,000 yards from scrimmage for the second time in two seasons. He had reached that mark only once in four years with the Steelers. Again, thanks to Darren Urban for that little nugget on James Conner. Yeah, Conner's. you know, he's, he's, uh, he's under contract for this coming season in 23, and he has an out, you know, before 24, but uh, is also under contract for 2024. So the the Cardinals, they signed him with a three-year, $21 million deal. He's a good player. He's a veteran guy. Believe it or not, he's only 27 years old. So he's not that old. So I, I, he's a good player to have going forward for your organization. And then two players I don't have highlights for, one of whom because he got hurt in the game and one of them because he didn't play in the game. Talking about Hollywood Brown, who was holding his arm kind of awkwardly. We don't know whether Hollywood is going to play on Sunday against the 49ers or not. And then the other is DeAndre Hopkins. He he was ruled inactive before the game, and I, I watched that game on Sunday, Gambo, and I couldn't help but to think myself, have I seen the last of DeAndre Hopkins in an Arizona Cardinals I would uniform? not be surprised if he asks for a trade at the end of the season. Instead of wanting to be part of a rebuilding uh, team with a, a, you know not knowing who his quarterback's going to be for the first you know four, five, six, seven weeks of the season, I, I would not be surprised if he... And that's, listen, honestly... You can't pay him and Hollywood Brown. We're back to the Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald thing. You can't pay him and Hollywood Brown. Because if, if you're going to redo Hollywood Brown, and I like him, um, he's not as good as Hopkins. He's not on that level. I'd rather have Hopkins, but you traded a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. You're probably going to want to re-sign him and keep him. I would think the easiest thing to do is to move on from Hopkins. Yeah. I would agree. And you can't pay both. You can't pay both. And I just don't know, honestly, if given the state of the organization, if there's a need to have a DeAndre Hopkins on the roster next year. It just doesn't seem like it's much of a fit. It may depend on who your coach is, too. A lot of it might. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't, right? It almost feels like it's going to be a little bit of a step back year for the Cardinals as they kind of build towards the next great Cardinals team. We'll see. Again, one more game left for the Cardinals Sunday against the 49ers, 225 kickoff. And then we'll find out after that what happens with Cliff, what happens with the front office, what happens with the direction the team goes, and maybe short term, most importantly, where they pick in the draft. Right now, they have the fourth pick in the draft. They can get to as high as two. They can fall as low as six in this year's draft. That's where things stand. Two is the highest they can they get. They can't get to number one with Houston losing this past weekend. They That's cannot why it was get to number so one. imperative that they lost that game because they would have tied Atlanta. You know, they would have probably fallen out of the top five. 
And yep. San Fran's got something to play for next week. Yes, you sure do. I got something to play for. I got a chance to play for the number one seed. Number one seed. When we come back, well, as much of a pall is being cast over everything, there is some stuff we got to talk about that was really enjoyable from this past weekend. Specifically, the college football we see, saw on Saturday Ooh. was extraordinary. And we'll talk about it next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It was easy to be a cynic about it going into Saturday because if we're going to be honest about it, the college football playoffs, the semifinals, the final four, they're usually a bust. Usually. Usually the games are terrible. Absolutely brutal games. Usually they're just awful blowouts. They're unwatchable. They're over by the third quarter and it's Mm. like on to something else. And to be honest with you, there was a belief going into these two games, TCU versus Michigan, Ohio State versus Georgia, that it was going to be more of the same in 2022. Yeah, the TCU story was unbelievable. That's the one that's, you know, they didn't belong, right? That's not a that Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, TCU. Like, you know, TCU in the college football playoffs, like, you know, they, their their history is pretty remarkable. Southwestern Conference, they'd been left out of the original Big 12, then they actually joined the Big East for about five seconds. That's right, I remember and then that. They joined yeah. the Big East for about five seconds, and eventually the Big 12 let them in, and then they fired their coach last year, the, their legendary coach who had done so many good things for them, and Gary Patterson, they bring in Sonny Dykes, and they would pick seventh in the preseason Big 12 media poll. Seventh! Yeah. Seventh! They were unranked in all August. They weren't ranked, and then all of a sudden, behind Max Dugan, and and they and 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 they just they they twelve and zero and top four, and they make the playoffs. And but then still, like okay, you're going to get thrown. Michigan's going to beat you up. You're going to lose this game, and they go out there and they win the game. It was remarkable. Well, yeah, it was a remarkable game. It was a lot of fun to watch. I imagine it was a lot of fun to be there as long as you weren't wearing the maize and blue of Michigan, because there were a lot of folks there that day at State Farm Stadium, and they had to leave disappointed. To me, that game, I mean, it, it certainly wasn't defined by what happened early, but obviously what happens early is what a lot of people are going to think about, right? The touchdown that wasn't for Michigan and then the fumble at the goal line. I thought that the, was a touchdown. Uh, of course I it mean, was a I touchdown. It was oh, a they, touchdown. They got that so brutally wrong. And that, I, I don't understand how right. they didn't rule that a then touchdown. Then they fumble and TCU recovers. They're like, what a big break you just but got. But even before that, Jim Harbaugh calling that crazy trick play right. at the goal line mm-hmm. you know, earlier in the game. But yeah, I, two times they're inside the five yard line. Two times they don't score. I like thought that's the and then the turnovers. They turn the ball over, that, and that's it. Every single time you thought Michigan was going to get back in it, there was a pick six, or there was Quentin Johnson's catch and run touchdown. Quentin Johnson. It's like every time you thought, okay, here it goes. Michigan's going to steal it. Michigan's going to steal it. TCU would do that one thing. That would keep the game just a little bit out of reach for Michigan. They could never quite get there, and I, it was I, it was very it was a lot of fun to see the underdog in that situation come through against the blue blood. It was a lot so of fun. I, I tweeted this out while I was watching the game five fourteen on December thirty first. The amount of big plays in this TCU Michigan game is crazy. It was big play after you go for seventy six yards, I go for fifty. I'll go for sixty. Who wants forty five? Who wants eighty? You just couldn't believe like the amount of big plays that. 
that these defenses yeah. would get. It was shocking the amount of big plays that were given up in that game. That third quarter was overserved. It was just it was it was just drunk. It was it was crazy. Uh, every single big play, it was nuts. And and for TCU to do it, I'm looking through this story that you sent me. If I remember, I can't find the exact stat, but if you look at the alumni of TCU, I mean it's like ninety thousand. There, there, there's not that many people who can say they went to Texas yeah. Christian University. Right. It would barely even fill up a stadium as big as like the Rose Bowl or something yeah. like All that. All ninety thousand of TCU's living alumni could fit into the big house. There you go. That's that's the one that I was, was like, the story. Find it. Yeah, yeah. It was a tremendous story about TCU and just you know unlike how unlikely it was. And you're like, man, just yeah. They fired Gary Patterson last year. They weren't even picked to do very well. And then okay, you got in. It's nice, but you know nobody really wanted them for years. Like they got left out all the time. Yeah. Um, and then they finally just you know they did turn it around. Dennis Francione came in, and then Patterson came in, but this. But then Patterson, they had to fire him. They didn't want to, but they had to. You bring in Sonny Dykes. He was at SMU. And all of a sudden, man, there they are. Um, so that was that was incredible. And then the next game was just as good, if not better. I think it was better, actually. I think it was, be- I think it was better for a couple of reasons. Number one, yeah. Ohio State was doing the thing, too, right? Like it was going to be a day of upsets. For Georgia to come back the way they did facing that kind of deficit. Now, I get it. They're Georgia. They're the best team in the country. And they're a two-touchdown favorite over TCU for the championship game. But rallies like that in moments like this, you don't see them all that often. I, I thought the second game was even better than the first, to be honest. It, you know, you know, I, and I, I got all my game notes here. Eight minutes and fifty six seconds left. Ohio State's up thirty eight twenty seven. They're punting, but they're up thirty. They're up by two scores, thirty eight twenty seven. Georgia takes over the first play from scrimmage. An incredible breakdown, right? Arian Smith wide open, seventy six yard touchdown. The quarterback ransom slipped. 76-yard touchdown. Okay, they're back in it. Ohio State takes over, you know, Rug- uh, Ruggles. Was it Ruggles? Ruggles or Ruggles? The kicker. Ruggles. For Ohio State? Yeah. No, for, yeah, for Ohio State. Yeah, I don't he, remember exactly I think how you Ruggles. pronounce it. Kicks a 48-yard field goal. It's All 40. I know is he missed at the end. <laughs> I know. I don't know his name. I he just had, know he missed he at the end. He was 6 for 6 from 40 to 49 yards. He kicks that one through 41-35. Georgia takes over. Two and a half minutes left. Pass to McIntosh. Pass to Bowers. Offsides Ohio State. You know, eventually, 54 seconds left. Stetson hits uh, Mitchell in the corner of the end zone. 10-yard touchdown. The extra point gives Georgia the lead. But then Michigan, with... 54 seconds left, their own 25-yard line, not Michigan, Ohio State, drives all the way down the field. All the way down the field, they set up a potential 50-yard game-winning field goal. Georgia takes a timeout, and then the kick, and I put this in my notes, the kick looked like something you would have got from Mitch. I mean, it never had a chance. I mean, like... That's it was twice a, today, Mitch. You gonna just you gonna let him do that to you today? It's just you know, <laughs> Mitch would have got closer for sure. Maybe I think Mitch would have gotten closer. I yet. mean, C.J. Stroud had that incredible twenty-seven yard run to the Georgia thirty-one. There's twenty-four seconds left after the timeout, but they don't get any real. They don't get any closer, and the kids got it to kick the field goal, and he man, he man, he missed that thing. Yeah, it was in his head. He, you, oh, you can, I mean, you don't miss a kick like that. I'm, no. I'm not a kicker. Uh, Jay Feely could speak more to this. I don't think you miss a kick like that unless you just the moment is just too big for you and completely in your head. Yeah, he missed it by 40 yards. 
Yards. Yeah, it's, that was a that was a tough moment for that kid. The reason why I said it was what so game. rare and so unusual is that this this tweet from ESPN Stats and Info: When you're leading by 14 or more points at any point of the fourth quarter in a college football playoff game, Unbeaten. you're 19 and 0. Mm-hmm. And yet Georgia became the first team to win a college football playoff game after trailing by 14 or more in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's that's in Bennett was unbelievable down the stretch. 12, 10 and 12, 190 yards, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And now we get, you know, it sets it up, but Georgia's going to be a huge favorite over TCU. A huge favorite. And they almost lost that game. Ohio State and Michigan, the Big Ten, both go down to defeat. Yep. Michigan fans were devastated. They were miserable. They were miserable, Michigan fans. And then they were happy about four hours later when Ohio State lost. They could have been, I mean, they were happy that they saw Ohio State lost. I doubt it made them feel any better about oh, their team. Oh, it did team, make you feel which, better. Uh, it, it, it had to make you feel it was better. Just for a second. Like, like, okay, well, at least Ohio State lost. Right. But man, we still suck. How come we didn't win? Yeah, the last time that a team has been favored by that much in the championship game, you have to go back to 1998 when Nebraska was a 13 and a half point favorite against Tennessee, a game that I believe Tennessee won. I believe they upset Nebraska. If I, if I remember it right, I could be wrong. But oh, I was looking at Mitch with the hope that maybe you would look that up for me. That's Frank Bail out your host. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were looking at me like, why don't you know this? You were four years old no, at the time. No, no. See, that's Gambo's role on the show is to rip you and think less of you. I'm just looking to you for answers. Like, you get on the Google machine and find out if I'm right. I think Tennessee won that game in 98. I think they beat Nebraska. Rocky Top, baby. I think so. I think they won that game. I could be totally wrong. What do you got? I, I, remember, I see Huskers over Tennessee 42-17. I remembered it wrong. Yeah. I Never mind. Because yeah, that was in the middle of Nebraska's dynasty. I thought it was at the end of, well, no. Because uh, that was when they lost. The next year they lost ASU. Oh, that was oh, the year was, after they lost two ASU. Two years after they lost ASU. Two years ASU. after they lost ASU. Yeah, okay. that was that. I remember Tennessee here. Was it against Syracuse? Don't recall. Yeah, I, I, clearly I'm remembering it wrong. So what do we? Yeah. No, I misread it. Nebraska 42, Tennessee 17. Sorry, I had the teams back. Nebraska 42, 17. No, you read it. That's that's how is I that got. how I said it? Yeah, yeah. You said it. Yeah, you, you said, said it right. right. You said it right. Bernsey thought on, that. Bernsey thought Tennessee won. I thought Tennessee won that. Game. I'm out of my element today. I don't yeah. know. Well, yeah, it's that kind of a day. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, a lot to get you caught up on, including the top story of the day. The latest as we know it from DeMar Hamlin and everything going on around sports. The 4 o'clock reset is next. Burns and Gambo.